Well, we are nearing the end of Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter 4. going to be reading um, from verse 10 through verse 20, just to give us the context again. We, we dealt with some of it, but we're going to read those verses from 10 through 20. So turn your attention to the reading of God's Word. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides forever. Let's pray as we come before His Word. Father, we need Your Spirit to be at work in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, we pray that You would give us undivided hearts to hear, give us eyes to see, just give us a softness to receive Your Word today. Lord, fill me with Your Spirit that what I say and and speak would be true and right and good and glorifying to you. Lord, work in us this morning for your glory and for our good and joy. In Christ's name, amen. It has been almost 10 years, you've heard that, 10 years of living hope, which when I think about it, feels a little crazy at times. Uh, In some ways, it feels like it's been a long time particularly when I look back at pictures of my family and some of the other kids in here and, and see how much they've grown. And in other ways, it seems like it's flown by, uh, that it's, it's, it, it can't have been that long. Yet another thing that's interesting is that just in, in, in just under 500 sermons at Living Hope, I'm going to do something today that I haven't done up to this point. Now, it's not just that it's a text that I've never preached before, but this will be the first time in 10 years and perhaps ever that I've preached on giving. It's the first time a text has come up with that focus. And I was just mentioning it to the leadership team last week that, yeah, I've, I've, never, had a, I've never had to do that. You know, I am, I am thankful that I have never felt a need to deviate from the regular exposition of God's Word to address this topically. Because this church has been wonderfully faithful throughout the years. I've, just so you know, I've never asked to see a ledger. I have no idea what anyone in this church gives besides my family. 
Uh, all I know is that we consistently meet and quite often beat the budget, uh, which is a, a blessing. But today, Philippians 4, 10 through 20, deals with this. We dealt with verses 10 to 13 last week, and in that I mentioned that there was one main idea with this very compelling side point of contentment, and that contentment is really what we spent the time looking at. That was our focus last week. This morning we return to that main idea of giving, of partnership. Verse 13, that oft-quoted statement that speaks to Paul's ability to be content, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, is followed immediately by verse 14. Yet, yet, I, I want to get back to this yet, you know, just because just I'm content doesn't mean I'm not thinking about this. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. Paul is getting back to his main idea, that of their participation with him, with their, their sharing in his trouble and his affliction, their support of the ministry of the gospel. This text tells us quite a bit about giving, what it means not only to Paul and the benefit for Paul, but even more so the blessing that the giving is to the Philippians themselves. So this morning, we're going to look at three ideas, three ideas related to giving. That is first, partnership. It's a partnership. That there is profit for those who give. And third, that it is pleasing to the Lord. So partnership, profit, and pleasing. Now, as Paul talks about giving, this this isn't out of the blue, okay? It's not something that just all of a sudden pops up and shows up. If we go back to the opening verses of Philippians, you can actually see how Paul set up this entire letter, how he alluded to this very idea. Back to chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul gave thanks then and there, and, 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 and you hear this language in that opening section of partnership of sharing, of, of uh, being fellow partakers of grace with Paul, of, of his affection for them. But in that language, we now see specifically in chapter 4 some of the ways that they partook with him, some of the ways they partnered with him. So the church shared with him in his trouble, shared through their giving, their encouragement, their sending companions to be with Paul, one being Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus brought with him plenty of aid to where he says he has more than enough, more than enough through what they've given him. And Paul reminds them of this. He, he, he lets them know he's not forgotten about their, their gracious giving. Verse 15, he writes, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. They have partnered with Paul from the beginning of the gospel. Now, now that doesn't mean from, they started partnering as soon as Jesus rose from the dead or as soon as Paul started his ministry, but from the moment Paul started his ministry in Philippi. They heard the Word, the Spirit worked in them, 
and they partnered with him from that point forward. Once they heard the gospel, they were changed by his spirit. And, and all of this, he says, is a kind thing. It's a kind thing. Verse 14, one way you could put that is that they, they did well, they did a good thing. And, and Paul writes of this in, a, in another place, this idea of doing well or a good thing in Galatians 6, 9. He wrote, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The language is, is similar, that it was a kind thing. You could say it was a good thing for you to share with me in my trouble. They did a good work in sharing with him. Now, this whole idea, this emphasis of, of sharing, of, of uh, joining in with affliction of others, it reminds me, actually, of Jesus' words in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, starting in verse 34, Jesus is telling a story. He says, "'Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me.'" Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. See, in their giving in their partnership with Paul, in their sharing in that affliction, they were actually serving the Lord Jesus Christ. They were, they were doing that to Christ as they, as they shared and cared within the body of Christ. And, and I think that's an important point for us to remember, that as we care for those within the body of Christ, as we care for the least and the lost, the orphan, the widow, and others, we're actually sharing in the work of Christ, we are ministering in that way. And it's a beautiful privilege to partner in that way. You see, Paul understood the nature of the body of Christ, that we share with one another in all of life. We participate with one another by the Spirit. Go back to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and, and you see that same idea. As believers, we share in the life of Christ. We have a participation in the Spirit, and we're to be concerned for one another. Make my joy complete. But even more so, we are to be desirous to be like Christ. Consider what Paul wrote in chapter 3, verse 10. He wrote of his longing to be found in Christ, and he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. There's this consistent sharing and, and partnership. And so, as the Philippians share in, the, in Paul's affliction, they too are, in a sense, sharing in the sufferings of Christ. They're being conformed more and more to His image, to the image of the one who gave Himself fully and completely, sacrificially, for the salvation of His people. So, Paul is very thankful for this partnership. He, he remembers it all, and he even recounted their history of their partnership and their giving to the church in Corinth. 
In chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he wrote, and when I was with you and was in need, so he's saying this to the Corinthian church, he said, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia, Philippi, supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. So they, they gave. He was proud of their giving. It wasn't just because he was content with plenty or hunger didn't mean he didn't greatly appreciate their giving and their partnership with him. Yet there's another point to this partnership. If you look at verse 16, he wrote, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, it seems to me from this language that they were not solicited for help by Paul. He didn't say, even in Thessalonica, when I asked you, you gave me. He says, even in Thessalonica, you, you sent. When they, when they had opportunity to give, they, they had always been concerned for him. We saw that last week. They had concern. They just didn't always have opportunity. But when they had opportunity, they sent. They cared for him. Over and over, they partnered with Paul in the manner of giving and supplying his needs. Now, I'm sure, here's the thing, I'm sure Paul prayed about his needs, I'm sure he prayed about him. And by the work of the Spirit, those things were known, and the body of Christ came around. It reminds me, some of you might be familiar with George Mueller, who was an English pastor. And he would walk through town, and he'd see orphans, so many kids without parents. And so he started to pray. He prayed that God would provide a building, people to run it, furniture for it, and money for food and clothing. And those prayers were answered constantly, some last minute. But one thing Mueller never did, he never asked a person specifically for money. He always simply prayed. Now, I'm not saying that, therefore, no one should ever send a prayer letter. Okay, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that the, 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 the work of the Spirit in people's life and people who are attuned and, and wanting to partner with the Lord will come about and, and come through in that way. It's, it's part of it is it's continuing to send and seek out even in many ways. We seek out where are there needs in the kingdom that we can help, part- that we can help fulfill and participate in. How can we do that? So they, they sent. This was a partnership in the kingdom. So that's the first point. It's partnership. But let's look further at what Paul told us about this giving. And that's that it did not only benefit Paul, but it was actually for the good of the Philippian church, for the Philippian believers. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul wasn't motivated by what he would receive. He was motivated by the increase of fruit in the lives of those who gave, or as the New American Standard puts it, I seek for the profit which increases to your account. I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Now, I can imagine that maybe some of you at this point are starting to squirm a little bit in your seats because that sounds a bit odd. It, it sounds a little too prosperity gospel. It's been used and warped in many ways that, hey, if you give, you'll get a great profit back. You know, just send in your seed money and everything will be great. That's not what this is talking about. You know, is Paul saying that because the Philippians have given generously that they will get back even more and become absolutely rich? 
Well, not like we tend to think. But he is definitely saying that their giving in this manner will be fruitful. It will be profitable for them. Now, again, context. Context is important. All of Scripture and this letter, and just go back to chapter 1 again, verses 9 to 11, the, the prayer that Paul prayed for them. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. His desire in that prayer is that they would be full, but full with the fruit of righteousness. And I think perhaps that gives us a clue because using that same word, fruit, that the fruit would increase. So what Paul is referring to at this point, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I also think it would be helpful for us to look at another text where Paul address giving, uh, probably one many of us might be more familiar with, and see the type of language he used, and that's 2 Corinthians 9. And here he's trying to encourage the Corinthian church to give um, and, and laying out kind of what goes on with that. And so, starting in verse 6, he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion by God. For God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, there's too much in here, and I could keep reading in that, but there's, there's really too much here to go in depth, obviously, in 2 Corinthians but it's helpful. And, and think about the agricultural imagery that Paul used there. If you sow very few seeds, you're not going to reap a whole lot of a harvest. If, if you sow bountifully, though, you're more likely to reap bountifully. And he says, but you don't do this to get. <laughs> you do this cheerfully. You do it willingly, motivated from the heart, because you've actually been changed by the gospel yourself. The last verse of that chapter says, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. It is God's gift that motivates us. And further, in your giving that's cheerfully and sacrificially to God, He is able to give you grace so that you can abound for every good work. Not that you can abound in three Mercedes in your driveway, or whatever, those type of things. It's, it's that you may abound in every good work. The profit that comes for the sower, or for the giver, is an increase in the harvest, but that harvest is a harvest of righteousness. It's a harvest of Christ-likeness, of conformity to the Savior. It's growth for the giver. Proverbs eleven twenty five. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself 
be watered. As we give, and, and many of you hopefully have experienced this, as, as you give, it's been a blessing for you. I'm sure as the Kuhlmans go to the Czech Republic, as they give and give out there, as much as they give and are probably exhausted, it's going to be an absolute blessing for them as they grow in conformity to Christ as they serve. Folks, there is profit for the believer who gives generously and cheerfully in response to that inexpressible gift of grace that is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at Philippians 4.19 again, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul tells the Philippians that God, and he actually refers to Him very personally, doesn't he? He says, my God. And that's not the, the my God of our modern day of my God would never do this, or my, you know, where it's just by experience, and I hate that phrase. But when Paul uses it, it's good. Because he's talking about he has experienced what Scripture has told him. He has experienced the the faithfulness of God, the steadfast love of God. God has supplied his needs. That's how he's learned to be content, whether in plenty or in need. He knows this truth from experience that God supplies needs, all of them. Now, does he mean by that that God really supplies every need? Yeah. Yes. That's what the text says. But it's not every wish or desire. Everything we need will be given by the Lord. The trouble is, we're a pretty confused bunch of folk. We, 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 <laughs> there, how many times do you use, I really need to go get this? It's probably not a need. I need this so that, you know, I, I don't know, my car works better, or my car is cleaner, or my back porch is greater, or my yard grows better. I, I need all these things. No, those are wants. Those are desires. And we too often turn the want and desire into a need, particularly in our context. Our first world problems feel like needs. And so we have to make sure we're operating on the proper grid when we read, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Because God will supply. He will take care of His people. The, the character of God is foundational in all of this. You know, it's, if, if we just backed up in, in chapter 4 and you see how Paul starts to even set some of the stuff up, starting in verse 5, where he says, "'The Lord is at hand.'" Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, it's God's presence. It's, it's us going to Him in prayer. And so the promise, uh, the, the prophet in many ways is that we get closer to God we are conformed more to His image. He will care for us. He will supply, which is an amazing enough… If it just said, and my God will supply every need of yours, is amazing. That's an amazing promise. But then there's this prepositional phrase after it, according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 
So according to. When you read according to, it means in conformity with, in proportion to, um, in kind with. And he starts with according to his riches. The God of the universe, the God who's spoken everything into being. Let's just consider some of the places that Paul talks about God's riches. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Christ humbling Himself so that we would become rich. Romans eleven thirty three. 33, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, how inscrutable His ways. Colossians 1.27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There are so many times in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He partly gave to it, no, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. In verse 18, Paul prayed, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. And further in his prayer, in chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul prayed that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, that so you, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. God's riches have done so much. God's riches have given us Christ, has, has, have, has given us life. It's given us hope. And that's what this is according to. And what this tells us, I mean, just quite simply, is God's not stingy. He's not. He's not stingy. He's, he's not miserly in His grace, in His care for His people. He's generous with the riches of His grace and wisdom and knowledge. He knows what we need, and He gladly gives to His children. All of this is found in Christ Jesus. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Romans 8, 32. And folks, listen, nothing we received, we receive it all, is based on our merits, but on the merits of Christ Jesus Himself. It's those who are in Christ who receive these riches. Now, the world, by common grace, receives so much too. I mean, just think that the sun comes up every day, and the beautiful, it was beautiful last night. There's common grace, but these riches and the supply and this promise is for those who are in Christ. And Paul's primary concern for believers is their growth in grace with the fruit of righteousness. He wants them to grow in counting all things as lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. He wants us to learn contentment. He wants us to experience the presence of the God of peace by knowing the peace of God in all things. However, does this exclude God providing physically for us as well? No. No, it doesn't. 
It may well be aimed at spiritual needs, but it does not discount our physical needs by any means. God clothes the birds of the heavens and the flowers of the field. He will care for the needs of His people. And what we came out of in, in earlier in chapter 4 is we need not be anxious about this, but we need to rest in contentment, trust Him because we know Him in Christ. And so Paul is delighted and seeking the prophet. He's delighted that they are acting as those who know Christ, and he trusts that God will reward that obedience, will work the prophet of fruit in their lives. Well, then the final idea is that all of this, this giving, this, this partnership, it's pleasing to the Lord. It's glorifying to Him. Look at verses 18 and 20. Paul wrote, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And verse 20, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what I want to zero in on is the language that Paul used to describe those gifts. He called them first a fragrant offering. Now, in the Old Testament, sacrifices uh, were often spoken of as a pleasing aroma. And you can look at multiple places, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you could probably read through all those, and you're going to see that phrase, a pleasing aroma. Their obedience then displayed their trust in the Lord in His ways, and it was, it, was a, it was a sacrifice that was pleasing to the Lord. Their giving to Paul in partnership is pleasing. It's, it's acceptable as a sacrifice. The gifts they sent, though used to support Paul in his ministry, first and foremost, they were offerings. They were worship of God. They are the right response of the work of God in our lives. Their giving originated out of the work of the gospel. From the moment they heard and believed they were changed, it, it, it sprung from faith. However, I believe this language also points us, it points us more directly to Christ. Paul makes that connection in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 2 gives this charge, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Christ's life and sacrificial death was the greatest instance of giving ever recorded. And so our giving is to flow out of that. Our giving is because of Him and flows out of that and it flows through Him. Hebrews 13 Starting in verse 15, through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We continue to give. We sacrifice. And this will all be for the glory of God. Verse 20 is not a simple, just Paul's filling in the formula at the end. It's Paul's reminder that all we do as we partner, as we do all of this in, in giving, it's for the glory of God. And what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. 
So what does this all tell us? It tells us that our giving to the work of the Lord is much more than, but, but it's certainly not less than, financially supporting the ministry. Okay, our giving is, is, is more than, but it's, it's, it's not less than giving financially to support the ministry. It's actually partnership. It's a, it's a true partnership. We're partaking together in that. It is profitable for the giver who gives cheerfully and sacrificially, and it is absolutely pleasing to the Lord. So, folks, we give cheerfully and sacrificially because we have been given so much in Christ. We've been given so much in the one who gave himself as a fragrant offering that was acceptable to God. And so our sacrifices, our giving, are in imitation of his work. Our giving is worship. It's part of the process of conforming us more and more to the image of Christ. And so, in so many ways, as we give and, and we support the ministry, not just the church, but I know many of you probably support people in other organizations and continue to support the work of the ministry throughout the world, that's partnering with it. It's, it's part of our testimony that we believe that Christ is our only hope, that Christ is the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate gift, and that we trust Him in all things. It's part of our sacrifice of praise for all that we have in Christ Jesus. Giving's not just about figuring out how to write a check. There's so much more in our giving and our partnership in the work of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Word. Reminds us that all that we do within the body of Christ is good. It's for it's for your glory. It's a wonderful thing. And so Lord, teach us more and more what it is to, to partner in the work of the gospel, not just in giving, but in speaking the good news, in loving and discipling children, not only ours, but the children in this church and the children around, and, and loving and caring for those around us. Lord, give us hearts that are more willing to sacrifice because of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray in His name. Amen.